I would like to thank God Almighty for giving everybody so much and me so little. I hate you. I hate you. I don't even know you, and I hate your guts. I hope all the bad things in life happen to you and nobody else but you. I'm afraid I've got some bad news. I knew it. I love when he does that. Well, once you hit rock bottom, the only way to go is up. So, so good luck. Okay, good luck. You say rock bottom, but like, it just seems like things keep getting worse. What What is rock bottom? Who decides what's the bottom of all this? I mean, seriously, you go, okay, today is Friday, and I woke up in Cleveland, and I'm going, how much worse can it get? Don't me down, you piece of shit! Shut your mouth! Look at me, Tony. Look at me. I want you to fire me. You fucking mark! Fire me! Fire me! How you think they gonna feel when they introduce your boys as the new? WWE, Undisputed, Tag Team, cheering. Oh no, who's they might be cheering. Yeah. They might be booing. Yeah. Little kids might be crying. Oh yeah. We got grown men out there crying. Yeah. But they still might be hating on the Uso. Hating on us. Why? Because we went out there and did what we said we was going to do. Buffalo, all your babbling is interfering with my machine. So for the next few minutes, please just do me a favor and kindly
Greetings and salutations, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode 342 of the Hoots Podcast. It's Thursday, January 5th, 2023. Happy New Year's, everybody. It's your truly the nefarious brother, Adam, a.k.a. Josh Lopez. Welcome you back to the Fortress of Joshi, ready to drop our first edition of the podcast at Hoots in 2023. It's going to be another fun year. We are eight episodes away from reaching episode 350, which will be uh, taking place. Make sure you put it down on your calendars as you're listening to this right now. March 2nd, save in your calendars, write it down. That, and that's down with a D-A-H-N, Don. Okay, write it down. March 2nd, 2023, it'll be a Thursday. We will have episode 350 of the Hoots Podcast as we continue our roll to 500 episodes. But we're not on the road just for that milestone. We're also on the road for many different things. We're on the road to the Royal Rumble. We're, uh, as a podcast, we are on the road to 1,000 subscribers on our YouTube channel at the Hoots Podcast. Make sure you subscribe as you're listening to this right now. We want to say thank you for giving us a chance. This, co- this podcast comes to you free of charge every single Thursday, anywhere you get your podcast from. Google, what? Apple Podcasts, what? Stitcher, what? Um, let's see, iHeartRadio, what? Anywhere you get a podcast from, type in whose podcast will be there come to you to your please uh, to your pleasure, your audio pleasure, if you will. <laughs> um, yeah, this is a fun vibe, and it's, if this is your first time, check out the show. I really do appreciate it. I am the Nefarious Brother Adam, aka Josh Lopez. Again, you can follow me on Twitter at the Hoots Podcast. I'm on Instagram at Josh Lopez Media. Make sure to check out my work at ProWrestlingTranscriptions.com. That's my main line of work outside this podcast and I'm very fortunate for uh, everybody who uh, continues to check out those transcripts it means a lot to me so check it out ProWrestlingTranscriptions.com and we're we're going to pedal through here to 2023 we're just about four weeks away for the Royal Rumble and for those who are watching or listening to this right now I want you to tell me Reach out to your boy. Let me know. What is your favorite Royal Rumble memory? I gave you two questions. Let's see who's actually paying attention and watching the show this week. Hit me up on Twitter. Hit me up uh, in the comment sections down below on our YouTube page. What's your favorite Royal Rumble memory? And who do you want to see win the Royal Rumble match this year in San Antonio? For both the men and the ladies. Two questions right off the bat. One, what's your favorite Royal Rumble memory? And two, who do you want to win the men's and women's Royal Rumble matches in 2023? We got to a lot to discuss. Of course, I just mentioned uh, WWE right there. We'll get into that in just a little bit at following this segment. Also, um, we got to recap uh, Wrestle Kingdom 17. It's been a wild couple days for your boy. I'll get to that a little later on. And, of course, we'll cap it up with a brand new edition of um, What the Hell is Wrong with AEW as they made their debut in Seattle, Washington last night. And uh, for those who are wondering, usually on this podcast, I am joined by the director of all operations, Bert Carter. But he is via satellite this week. But don't fret. 
he did send his submission for what the hell is wrong with AW. And I like to say for everybody that uh, watches the show, if you like to, um, if you like that segment for what it is, and you want to participate in it, I am not opposed <laughs> to sharing your rants. If you have an AW rant that you just need to get out of your chest, you know, if there's something that's been bugging you about AW that you can't, you, 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 it's festering inside of you, you just need to let it out and get it off your shoulders. Send it in the audio form. I am. <laughs> it doesn't have to be just me and Brother Carter uh, taking the audio voyage of the uh, thing that uh, proclaims is an alternative wrestling product. So <laughs> we're always open to having more people be part of that segment, and uh, it's a very interactive segment, if you will. So uh, very excited to get to that later on. But as per ritual here on the Hoops Podcast. We start off with the back porch Q&A session. And as always, if you ever want to participate in a back porch Q&A session, all you have to do is send me questions at the Hoots Podcast or the Hoots Podcast at gmail.com. And as usual, we start off with the good bird, Chris Zaletta at XTZaletta24X on Twitter. He says, thoughts on money to bank heading to London and the paper you sticking around, around it looks like. Um, I got this question uh, for Chris and Mike. By the way, shout out for Chris and Mike coming into the clutch this week and sending questions for the uh, podcast this week. We didn't get a lot, but I appreciate you guys for um, hooking me up here. And uh, I am going to answer your questions as thoroughly as I can. Um, I got both of them asked the same question here, so we'll we'll tie this here. Um, Look, I think it's cool. First off, I'm happy for the fans and the audience in the U.K., uh, we always know in the same that actions mean more than words. And, you know, there's been a lot of buzz about having more premium live events in the UK in general. Uh, and I think it's awesome that um, O2 Arena in London is going to have money to bank next year. And I think that's just I, th- I think it's gonna be cool. I, I'm I'm not one of those that feels that money the money in the bank as a pay per view has to be scrapped from the calendar of the list. So I'm not opposed to it continuing on. Uh, I'm just really happy for the fans in the UK because um, you know a lot of times that people will go on Twitter and make campaigns of why certain shows should go to their cities, and then there's other reasons financial weather, logistics, stuff like that, why other markets may not get certain shows like the Royal Rumble. By the way, the Royal Rumble's <laughs> Chicago has never had or hosted a Royal Rumble before. We've had Royal Rumble watch parties in Chicago, but we never had the Royal Rumble event in Chicago for many different reasons. Uh, it's also a reason why uh, Chicago was the last arena-based WrestleMania. Uh, but, you know, a lot of markets claim that they want WWE to come to their, program, uh, come to their country or their city or whatever, but they don't show through with tickets and um, buying the merchandise and stuff like that. It's a, it's a two-way street. And I think the, um, the turnout for Cardiff, uh, for Clash of the Castle, was proof evidence that it's a good return on investment for WWE to have more shows in the UK. So I think it's a cool thing. Uh, like I mentioned a couple minutes ago, I'm, 
I, I don't have an issue with Money in the Bank continuing on as a premium live event. And uh, I think London is definitely a better location for this type of pay-per-view than Albany, New York, or Hartford, or Rhode Island. Sorry, Chris. <laughs> but, you know, you need good markets to have this type of pay-per-view. That's why, of course, the, the 2011 one always stands out to people, not just because of the whole a night of CM Punk, but just that pay-per-view in general, uh, that crowd at the All-State Arena was something else. Uh, next question. Favorite match from Wrestle Kingdom. My favorite match from Wrestle Kingdom was FTR against uh, Hiroki Goto and Yoshihashi. I'll explain why a little later on, but there's a lot to choose from from there. <laughs> uh, where does Will Ospreay and Jay White go after their losses? Again, another one I'll uh, get to when we uh, recap um, Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, what I'll just say for now is that Will Ospreay, as he mentioned in his uh, backstage comments, uh, I don't know if this is going to be his last year. I don't know what the current contract uh, situation is for Will Ospreay. I, for one, are not, is not in a loop of dirt sheets and rumor and innuendo. I'm kind of like distant myself from that type of the spectrum of the wrestling uh, community and uh, content consumption. I, I'm just, it's, it's just not for me. I don't have the time or energy to look up at rumors and stuff that have no merit or substance to it. So I don't know what's going to happen with Will. I don't know what's going to happen with Jay. Uh, you know, I got, I got questions from you, Chris, over the last couple months and from other people about whether or not Jay White would go to the WWE or show up at the Royal Rumble. If he does... I think that's awesome. I think Jay White would be a great fit in WWE. Uh, I think Jay White would bring a different element to his form of professional wrestling to WWE as a New Japan transaction than AJ Styles did initially when he showed up at the Royal Rumble in uh, 2016. So Jay White and how he carries himself as a storyteller and the way he structures his matches is something I think that would fit good in the WWE system. Um, and I think there's, I think that if you look at the spectrum of New Japan right now, I, I think Jay White has just ran the gamut of people of who he could fight and have feuds with. And good on Jay White for him to be a focal part of the world title scene over the last three or four Wrestle Kingdoms consecutively. It's pretty impressive, to say the least. And I've been a fan of Jay White since day one, especially the day he turned on uh, Chaos. Uh, he betrayed Bullet Club initially. Um, all that stuff. Jay White is the man. I, I've always been a big fan of his work. That's a great question, Chris. I'll expand more as far as what I think is sooner of what they could be doing next, but that's just what I could say for now. All right, next question. Who possibly becomes the one to retire Mickey James? Well, here's my question back to you. Where does she retire? Does she retire in Impact or does she retire in WWE? Who's to say a year or two for now, Mickey James comes back to the WWE and... Uh, Core Jade is the one to put her away. You know, um, I look at Impact and 
The only one I can see that I think it could fit her character and give her a nice notch on her resume, you know, character-wise, is uh, Killer Kelly. Now, when, uh, Impact has a great knockout division. Uh, it's very stacked. There's a lot of depth to it. You could pick anybody, and I guess you could put in this position, and they all would benefit from having that notion that, hey, I'm the one that made Mickey James retire. Um, Monster Slam and Fish is an obvious pick, obviously. You know, you got uh, Deanna Perazzo, anytime you want to rekindle that, but they just had a match on Impact recently. Um, I just think out of everybody, I think Killer Kelly's the one that deserves that opportunity to be the one to put Mickey away. But again, who knows what's going to happen to Hard to Kill, you know? Uh, I'm very excited for that Knockouts World title match a week from tomorrow as I'm recording this. By the way, Impact, can you please stop doing pay-per-views in, on Fridays? I would really appreciate it. Please stop. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the reason I'm laughing here, we get my annual traditional question. <laughs> I get this every year for Chris, and it's not a knock. <laughs> I, I love it. And I'm chugging because I get this every year. I, I know I, I get reminded that Black Monday is coming for the NFL from Chris before I hear from it on ESPN. <laughs> Which NFL coaches are getting fired after this weekend? You're fired. Um, <laughs> man, I heard something about Lovey Smith possibly being fired or he knows that he's getting fired, but... I mean, I feel bad for you. That guy was in a lose-lose situation there in Houston. That organization is uh, JoJo Dutch, if you will. That is a bad organization. So I guess you could put Lovey there. Um, does the commanders want to fire Ron Rivera? I know it's been a very dicey season for them as well. I don't think Rob Sala's going to get fired. I think the issue here, uh, I don't think this... Uh, particular Black Bunny will be as active as last year's was, Chris, because of the fact that there's already been multiple uh, coaching changes um, this year so far. Um, I, I think, obviously, this weekend will curtail a lot of things. Does Kevin Savancy get fired if they lose to the Steelers? I don't know. I don't see Dan Campbell getting fired. No, Flus is not getting fired. Um, I, I I leave it up to air, but I, I just think with the fact that there's already been multiple coaching changes throughout the season so far, I just uh, the one the only one obvious that's out there for me that's getting fired is probably Cl- uh, Cliff Kingsbury. But even then, it's the Cardinals. So what could go wrong will go wrong. <laughs> All right, thoughts on Charlotte's return and title win. I'll talk about that in this week in WWE. Who will have a breakout year in NXT slash WWE? AW, what? New Japan, what? Impact, what? Uh, great question. NXT? I think NXT uh, this year is going to be a very, very good year for um, Malik Blade and Idris Enofane. As a tag team uh, for the ladies, I think Zoe Stark takes another step as a heel. 
Uh, Meishi is one who takes the title off of Roxanne Perez down the road. Uh, we'll have to see how that plays out. Um, Sol Ruka, she continues to do what she's doing. She's been very impressive, to say the least. Obviously, she's been getting a lot of buzz for that. Um, that springboard flipping <laughs> RKO thing she's been doing over the last couple of uh, weeks. Um, for the dudes on the NXT side, I can't really say it's a year for a breakout year for Carmel Hayes because that's already been the case for the last year and a half, you know. Um, it just depends on some new signings. I mean, uh, this could be a good year for Axiom. It could be um, a good year for some of these NXT UK guys that have been still hanging around there. Uh, maybe it's a good year for Julius Creed maybe to come out as a single star. Uh, as far as uh, the main roster uh, is concerned, um, I think that this year is going to be uh, a very interesting one for um, for AJ Styles, hopefully when he comes back. Not from a breakout standpoint, but just him like regain momentum for his career. Um, as I look at the scene right now, I can see. I can just say like Gunther. Uh, I think Gunther just more for him like transitioning into the main event scene. I, I will say Cross. I think Killer Cross is gonna have a very very good year in twenty twenty three. Um, La Knight continues to take steps. Just some of those off the top of my head are ones that really stand out. I, I guess you could say Montez Ford, but he's a breakout performer in his own right. Yeah, th- th- those are the brief ones that I can think of at top of my head. I think they're breakout performers uh, for WWE. Uh, AW, I mentioned it last week. I think it'll be Sky Blue for the ladies. As far as the dude, probably be uh, Darby Allen or. Um, yeah, Darby Allen. No, I'm not Darby Allen. I'm, my bad. Sky Blue or. Maybe Lee Moriarty. I'm not really impressed by the AEW roster as a whole, to be honest with you. Um, if Jack Perry could break out as a single performer, I think that would be awesome from him. But uh, there's a lot that's up in the air, and there's a lot to be left desired when it comes to the AEW roster. Uh, New Japan, uh, I think Renderita is going to stand out uh, for sure. Uh, I think this could be a good year for Doki. <laughs> It's the Doki Choki, Kevin. <laughs> it's the Doki Choki. <laughs> God damn it, Kevin. <laughs> He's a unit. He's a unit, Kevin. <laughs> oh, man. Thank you, Chris, for the questions this week. As always, I appreciate my brother. All right. Next, we go to Mike at Main Event Swerve. Make sure to follow him there on Twitter. He says, Dots on was Mercedes Monet's debut. A bit underwhelming to you. What is the ceiling on the World Domination Tour? <laughs> oh, man. We're starting off hot in 2023. Uh, by the way, there's something uh, non-wrestling related that I'm going to be talking about at the end of the segment. So stay tuned for that. Um, back to this. <laughs> Was her debut at Wrestle Kingdom underwhelming? No. It was exactly what I thought it was going to be. And there's a reason why I didn't tweet about her making her debut or had a grandiose statement or take on the whole ordeal. Because I, I feel like in 2023, people really need to take a step back and like realize that 
while yeah I'm in the world of content creation and that I have a voice and I have a platform like this to speak my voice uh, there's something that's called being disciplined and that not everybody needs to have a take on every little thing that happens in wrestling at the exact moment it happens and it has to be a black or white like point of view behind that take you know for me, I didn't tweet or mark out for Mercedes Monet's debut because, honestly, brutally, being brutally honest with you guys, I'm just generally indifferent towards her. Um, not as her as the human being, but her character, the fact that she's very one-dimensional in the ring, if I'm just being honest for people that this is the guy who covers a bunch of wrestling <laughs> every single week. Uh, the fact that her promos leave a lot to be desired. Um, I think she's highly, highly overrated, uh, especially on Twitter. Um, as far as her seal the world domination tour, uh, the ceiling is, uh, <laughs> uh, honestly, you could just take a bet on uh, what's the over and under of her uh, a report of her. <laughs> what would be the over and under? of months until a reports come out that she's having frustrations with people backstage. <laughs> I think that's a bigger question because her having a world domination tour is fine, I guess, in Japan for what it is, but as much as people enjoy the stardom product, is stardom going to become a mainstream destination for people that had to describe only because of her? I, I'm Yes, look, I, I get it. She had a role in Mandalorian and all this stuff, and I'm not taking away from her talents, but I think there's a <laughs> a big hysteria that's going on across wrestling Twitter over the last year or so since she decided to get in her feelings and walk out that Sasha Banks is this, like, megalomatic superstar and that she's, like, a hundred times above professional wrestling and she's going to be the biggest thing since Beyonce. I, I have to see it to believe it. And um, <laughs> she made her debut. It was what it was. And her ceiling is up to her. Because she's the only one who gets in her own way. And that's the truth. Very similar to Athena. Wouldn't be surprised if Mercedes pops up and be the tag team partner for... Uh, Soraya in that tag team match next week at the forum. She's her biggest enemy. Always has been, always will be. <laughs> you can get really fooled in life when you start buying your own shit and acting like your shit don't stink. Like, it's, I understand that the whole thing, how you expect anybody to believe in you if you don't believe in yourself. But again, there's there has to be some nuance and substance in aspects of life and that, okay, I can have confidence in myself, but I'm also not naive to have some self-awareness about what I am, what I need to work on, and et cetera, et cetera. So that's my thoughts on that. As far as her having a world tour, <laughs> she'll dominate the world because, oh, she, she showed up in AEW and won the women's title in two months. Yippee-ki-yay. <laughs> 
I, I don't care for her. I do not care for her fans. Uh, her and AW are a match made in heaven, as Bert Carter always says, and that's my opinions on that. Next question. If you had to live in another state for the next 10 years, where would it be? Florida. Yes, Florida. Wake up in the morning and have uh, the Metro Diner or the Time House. <laughs> What's what the place called? The... You know, Vito's called the, oh, yeah, it's the, the Time House. <laughs> T-A-H-N, write this down, T-A-H-N-H-A-H-S-E, the Time House. <laughs> I love the restaurants that are down there in um, Oviedo. Um, I mentioned this before, I took a two-week uh, staycation, if you will, last, last year, uh, last summer. Um, in the middle of June in Oviedo for two weeks and I got to experience what it had been like to go through that process week in and week out and I, I loved it. I really loved it. I've been missing Florida every day since I came back and um, I've, I've had time to like reevaluate my wants and needs to go to Florida. Um, the biggest reason for me why I want Florida to be my next place of living, if you will, is the fact that um, Florida's always been a place where I feel like I could have like eternal weight off my shoulders. It's like you ever had a feeling when you know you know things are good and like you just feel free, right? You just feel free within yourself, not because of anybody's doing or anything like that you just feel free within yourself and you are you can wake up every day you can smile and go on about your business and um i i love it down there i really do i miss it um it's a great time down there they got great food i i, I guess the only bad thing i can say about it is, is the, just the way it goes about traveling and stuff like that they don't have as accessible um Bus, uh, buses and stuff like that like you would in a big city like Chicago or New York but for me I want to move to Florida <laughs> I it, it would mean a lot to me just to start the next chapter of my life and start reevaluating a lot of different things and starting to figure that out on my own you know and I think that's probably the it, it is the primary reason why I want to move and that time will come when it needs to come, but sooner or later I will be in Florida and there's going to be no turning back for that. But I appreciate you asking me that, brother. I appreciate I really do. Next question. Who do you see as the final four of the men's and women's Royal Rumble matches? Great question there. Uh, I have Charlotte. No, not Charlotte. My bad. Uh, I got <laughs> Rhea Ripley, Becky Lynch, Bailey. And um, yeah, Becky Lynch, Rhea Ripley, Bianca Belair, and Liv Morgan. That'd be my final four. Then for the dudes, uh, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, Jay Uso, and Cody Rhodes. Pretty simple there. I'm really excited for Royal Rumble. I can't wait. Uh, last question here for the Q&A this week. Who has been the best backup QB story this NFL season? 
Um, that's a good question. It's it's got to be up to either Brock Purdy or um, Mike White, right? I mean, now the teams have gone in different directions. Um, Jets more self inflicted, but that's Jets. <laughs> Are we really surprised? Um, no, I I look at this. Um, I look at this question, and I, I, even though he's been starting for the majority of the year, I, I, for me, the best if you're looking at a backup quarterback, in how the season's played out so far, to me it's um, it's Geno Smith. Um, I don't know if he's going to win comeback player of the year award, but that's definitely for me my pick. I would go with. Um, I'll go with Gino Smith. If I had to pick the best backup, uh, who's had the best story this year, it's definitely, um, it's definitely um, Gino Smith. But I want to thank Chris and Mike for the questions this week. I always appreciate you guys. You guys killed it. As always, if you want to participate for the Good Brothers, not the Good Brothers, the Back Porch Q&A session, all you have to do is hit me up at Twitter, at the Hoots Podcast, or hit, hit us up at the Hoots Podcast at gmail.com. There's one last thing I wanted to mention that I need to get off my chest, and this is going to come off more of a rant style, so I apologize to the fans. But before I get to what I really want to say, I do want to say from the bottom of my heart that I hope and pray that everything is going well with uh, DeMar Hamlin, the safety uh, of the Buffalo Bills. Um, if you've been living, living under rock, it's been something that's been talked at. I wouldn't say at nauseum at this point, but if, if you've been living under rock, obviously uh, DeMar Hamlin, a safety second-year player out of pit, uh, he um, unfortunately collapsed and a cardiac arrest um, in the football game on Monday night and um, had to be taken to the hospital. Uh, there's been a lot of updates since. Um He's responsive. I don't know if uh, anybody said he's spoken yet, but he's been uh, responsive, holding hands with family members, and we're just, you know, sending our T's and P's out to him and his family. Um, his family was there at the game on Monday, which is a horrible thing to imagine seeing one of your family members fall down like that. And, you know, just in general, you never want to see that happened in life to any circumstance, let alone a football game. Um, football is a violent sport. I played football in high school. Yeah, I wasn't a professional football player, but the this dealing with football aches and pains. And you, there's an inherent risk that a lot of football players just accept the fact that you know you're gonna get banged up, but you never expect that you know. Uh, one hit, and then you're in the hospital for a week, and you're unconscious for two days and stuff like that. It's just really, really sad. So my thoughts go out to uh, Tamar and his family, and I'm glad to see that his progress has been uh, rapidly increasing over the last couple of days. So that's that's wonderful to see. My issue regarding this topic has nothing to do with him. Uh, so... If what I say next offends you, I think you're misunderstanding the approach I'm coming from with here. I mentioned my thoughts and my stance on him 
uh, in this situation. And my, my issue with this whole topic and how it's been covered, it's not about the fact that the game stopped playing or this whole merit thing and <laughs> uh, unwritten rule about, oh, we have to finish games for the safety of fairness and all the crap. I really don't care about that either. My issue with this whole situation is been the coverage in some aspects of this. Look, I understand how serious this issue is, and I could appreciate from a standpoint that a lot of these networks want to treat this situation very seriously and not be uh, insensitive. Obviously, this happened on the big stage like Monday Night Football, so obviously a lot of eyes are on it. And this has reached a lot of different avenues of media coverage, not just um, the NFL. But as I sit back and watch, um, a lot of these shows spent their entire run time of their shows just talking nonstop about this situation. Um, I'll admit I've been starting to not get fatigued from the conversation. I understand that you're being sensitive and you care about the guy, but I've been, been kind of getting annoyed in a way about it, too. Um, I feel like a lot of it has been um, mirrored in fake um, fakeness, and I feel like there's been a lot of phoniness that's come with the approach of how people have been discussing this issue, the whole situation as a whole. Um, whether Bart Scott intended or not to indirectly blame T. Higgins, whatever, that guy's a fucking douchebag, and I'm sick of seeing him on my television. So that's first off, I need to get that off my chest. Um, secondly, Skip Bayless is a twat. Skip Bayless has always been a twat, and Skip Bayless will always be a twat. Let's let's get that out of the way as, as well. I guess my, my the bigger thing I wanted to mention here that's really been on my head as I've been observing these talk shows going nonstop and spending their entire runtime of their shows about the situation, and I, I there's a realm of just phoniness that I've gotten from some of these shows. I'm not gonna go into particular shows, but. I'll say this, like, I think the only genuine thing I've seen this week when it comes from genuine care and uh, just, uh, just, you know, handling the situation the right way are two things. Uh, How Ryan Clark handled the whole thing uh, on Monday night was really good. And then um, the other day with uh, Dan Orlowski uh, praying, um, outside of that, I've had this on in the back of my head, okay, you are dedicating your entire shows for three plus days now of nonstop topics, debating what should or should it happen with future games uh, because of this situation. And I'm like, it's one thing for showing your care and showing that you're not insensitive, but also at the same time, I know in the back of your head, all of you guys are filing your paychecks and getting your paychecks and depositing them every day and you know you're getting you get paid every day and nothing's really being done about it like I feel bad when I watch a show that's run by ESPN or Fox or whatever and they 
spend their whole day talking about this poor dude, and I don't see any of the people from that network like donate money to this poor kid's um, like charity and stuff. Like you're spending the entire day talking about the guy and showing your concern and this and that, but. Are you gonna put your money where your mouth is? I I I just feel I have it has it's gotten a bad taste in my mouth of how the coverage has gone on with this whole situation. To be honest with you, I I appreciate the level of concern. Um, I just don't see it happening. I I, I it just comes off. Like, pretend like, okay, this is something that happened. We need to go about this and make sure that we don't get any flack from people and try to be sensitive of the player's family and stuff like that. I Maybe I'm alone in this, but I feel like people have been putting a front on. Not, not everybody in the media, but a lot of the shows I feel like are like... Like, they're content with making the money they get, but they'll put a front on and talk about this poor guy for two-plus hours every day while they're getting their paychecks and not helping out with his cause. I, I just, It just doesn't sit right with me, and that's what I want to get off my chest. But on that note, we're going to wrap up this edition of the Backports Q&A. When I come back, we will discuss what happened this week in WWE plus Wrestle Kingdom 17 right here on Who's Podcast. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to Who's Podcast. Just seeing this article that dropped on the Wall Street Journal. We're doing this live, pal. Very interesting. Let me take a swig of water really quick, and then we'll get into this. Vince McMahon, the majority order and former chief executive of World Wrestling Entertainment Inc., plans to return to the company following his retirement last year amid a sexual harassment scandal to pursue a sale of the business, according to people familiar with the matter. Mr. McMahon, who has the majority voting power through his ownership of WWE's Class B stock, has told the company that he is electing himself and two former co-presidents and directors, Michelle Wilson and George Barrios, to the board, the people said. The move to reinstate Mr. McMahon, which the board previously rebuffed, and others will require three current directors to vacate their positions. Mr. McMahon, whose abrupt departure in July 2022 followed disclosures by the Wall Street Journal of multiple payouts to women who had alleged sexual misconduct and infidelity, expects he'll be able to assume the role of executive chairman, though he would need board approval for that, the people said. It isn't clear where that would leave his daughter, Stephanie McMahon. After his departure, she took over as chairwoman and co-CEO alongside the Conda Company's former president. The 77-year-old sent a letter to WWE's board in late December detailed his desire to return to the company he ran for four decades to help spearhead a strategic review process. People said Mr. McMahon believes there is a narrow window to kick off a sales process because WWE's media rights including its flashing programs, Raw and SmackDown, are about to be renegotiated, according to the people. Mr. McMahon believes the media landscape is evolving quickly and more companies are looking to own the intellectual property they use on their streaming platforms, making WWE 
an attractive takeover target, that people said. WWE, which generates most of its revenues from selling content rights, posted its first year over $1 billion in revenue in 2021. The company currently has a market value of just over $5 billion. The board responded last month in a letter to Mr. McMahon that it was prepared to initiate a review process and would welcome working with him on it. However, it said it unimaginably... I can't even pronounce that word. Automatically agreed that Mr. McMahon's return to business wouldn't be in the shareholders' best interest, according to the people familiar with the letters. The board also asked Mr. McMahon to confirm his commitment to repay the expenses incurred by WWE related to an investigation of all the allegations and requested that he agree not to return to the company during government pros of the matter, the people said. Mr. McMahon said in response that he remains willing to continue working to complete any reimbursement for reasonable expenses related to the investigation to the extent they aren't covered by insurance, but he declined to agree to not return to the company. He has communicated to the board that unless he has direct involvement as executive chairman from the outset of the strategic review, he won't support or approve any media rights, deals, or the sale, the people said. Mr. McMahon retired as WWE's chief executive and chairman in July amid a board investigation of sexual misconduct claims against him, the journal reported that he had agreed to pay more than $12 million in secret settlements since 2006 to his accusers, the Security and Exchange Commission, and federal prosecutors lost inquiries into the payments. WWE later disclosed additional payments in 2007 and 2009 totaling $5 million that said were unrelated to the allegations of misconduct that led to its internal investigation. WWE's board ultimately found that the payments, though, made by the Superman personally should have been booked as WWE expenses because they benefited the company. Mr. McMahon told, had told people that he intended to make a comeback at WWE, the Journal reported last month. He said that he received bad advice from people close to him last year to step down, according to the people familiar with his comments. Yeah. <laughs> Is anybody surprised? No. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Lethal point. <laughs> Lethal dose of poison. Oh, man. What? Well, again, what does this mean as far as... What do you think it is? Do you think it's him stepping in and saying that he wants to be in charge and what's going to go down with the actual sale process of what's going to happen? Or the fact that he wants to go back and be in the creative position? <laughs> yes, he has the voting power. It's still his copy, I guess, at the end of the day. Um... When this whole thing went down in uh, July, right, when he initially left, I was not surprised that that decision went down. But I also knew um, in the back of my head that um, there was going to be a good chance that he would come back in some fashion because that's just how he is. (laughs) Not that I agree with it. Not that I think it should happen 
it's not something that I'm clamoring for. But as I read in the article, uh, you know, a lot of times when you see stuff like this and, you, you know, it's, it's already getting, like, reported out through these uh, dirt sheet sites and stuff like that, everybody's like, oh, here we go. Here's Vince making everything about himself again. He's going to come back and run creative and do all this and this and that. I guess you can see that when you see, like, the initial headline and, like, the first paragraph of the article. But as I just read right there for you guys, where's the where's the inkling for him to take over the pencil again? <laughs> uh, I mean, we'll have to see what happens. I... <laughs> I, nobody should be surprised that Fisting Man wants to get back to his baby. Whether he regains the original position he has is up to that board. It's not up to him. Yeah, he has voting power of the company being sold. But what is it? Does he want his position back? Or does he want to be in charge of how the sale of his company actually goes through? We'll have to see how that plays out because it is certainly interesting to say the least. Um, yeah, so <laughs> welcome to this week in WWE. <laughs> um, let's talk about uh, stuff that went on in the product this week. Uh, next week, by the way, on Tuesday is New Year's Evil. Uh, very interesting show coming up. We got Braun Breaker putting his NXT title on the line against Grace Waller. There's going to be a 20 women battle royal where the winner will take on Roxanne Perez for the NXT Women's Championship at um, at Vengeance Day, which is going to be their next premium live event in February. From there, we go to SmackDown last week with the return of John Cena. Man, what a pop. <laughs> Honestly, that energy from the two entrances from John Cena transition to Roman Reigns' entrance that we used to get the long one with the bloodline and everything. That was just, you want to talk about like energy and stuff like that? It doesn't get better than that. I I, <laughs> I was having a blast on Friday night uh, covering SmackDown. I thought SmackDown overall was a, a really fun show. Uh, we had the return of the Queen, which was tremendous. Seeing Charlotte Flair back really made my week because that was just tremendous. Um, Sheamus and Solo Sokola was pretty good. That's the first match so Sokola won with the small spike uh, after uh, Sheamus being distracted by a melee with the Usos and the Brawling Brutes. Coming up tomorrow night as we record this, uh, Sheamus and Drew McIntyre will finally get their opportunity that they're supposed to get at the Usos and the Tag Team titles. So that match is going on tomorrow night. That match is going to be on like Donkey Kong. Bray White and LA Knight got made official this past Friday night for the Royal Rumble in the Pitch Black match, which is a match idea stemming from one of the WWE's sponsors in Mountain Dew. They got a new drink that's called Pitch Black. I think it's Icy, I think. But anyways. Regardless of your opinion of the stipulation of the match, we don't know what it is. I, I've been really interested in just how they've been going about the thing with Uncle Howdy 
last Friday he dropped <laughs> Bray Wyatt with his sister Abigail. There's a lot of window dressing that's going on right now, and I know this is not up the wheelhouse of the ADD side of wrestling fans because they need all their answers to feuds and stuff like that. The instant they need that instant gratification, and then complain about long-term storytelling and where's the long-term storytelling. Um, you know, we would know who Uncle Howdy is by now if this was an angle in AEW. And that's not a knock. I, I'm just being honest. As an observation, AEW doesn't let anything breathe. <laughs> With WWE, sometimes they let certain feuds and angles breathe for too long, I guess, at times, and suffocating you in some ways. But um, I'm kind of intrigued. It's like... You could go the Undertaker Kane route if both Dallas is Uncle Howdy and, you know, you, it could be the whole Bray White 16 that people guess and wonder if he's having a faction or not. I, we're not even, I don't even think we're at uh, phase two of whatever this journey is of Bray White coming back to WWE. Think about this Bray made his return in October. It's January. It's only been three months. <laughs> so, I'm intrigued. And that's the name of the game. It's only bad if, you, if you're indifferent to something. And that's something you never want. Um, yeah, <laughs> Ricochet and everybody was making fun of Top Dollar for his Miss uh, Somersault Plancha. That was what it was. Uh, Ronda Rousey, Raquel Rodriguez had a pretty solid match. I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was uh, Raquel's best match so far on the main roster. Uh, Ronda brought it as well. Ronda won with a very uh, timely flying armbar. Uh, it was a nice finish. It was a really, really good match. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. Um, then we had the return of the Queen. <laughs> and lo and behold, Charlotte Flair challenges Ronda Rousey to the spot and she captures her 14th women's championship in her career. By the way, the waterfall game still on top. Charlotte Flair never misses in that department. But man, I was so happy to see her back. She is she's the measury stick of women's wrestling and it was so cool to see her back and excited to see where things are going to go with with her as we head towards the Royal Rumble. But yes, very nice to see the Queen. Um, hopefully Gunther is okay. I saw that nasty share shot he took from uh, Ricochet. Uh, that was pretty interesting. Uh, Gunther and Braun Strowman will be having a match for the Intercontinental Championship uh, a week from tomorrow as well. Um, from there, we have the main event, of course, John Cena and Kevin Owens defeating Sami Zayn and Roman Reigns. Uh, the match was not long, but it didn't need to be either. I think they accomplished everything they wanted to accomplish. John Cena got to play the hits. Uh, Sammy took the L for the bloodline, and that's going to leave questions up in the air. And, you know, earlier in the, in the night, Sammy was like, hey, Roman, are you getting bothered when people start chanting for him during their segments and stuff like that? And it goes back to what I mentioned earlier. Even if you're playing a character, when you start, like, buying into your own hype, <laughs> uh, Brian Danielson, uh, when you start doing that, it could bite you in the ass. And 
that's the first little seed right there that's planted for Sami Zayn. I'll just tell the Oost man, watch out. <laughs> so that's why I've been on SmackDown. Really quick, talk about Raw this past Monday night from Nashville. Uh, good thing that Adam Pierce from Fire showed some cojones. <laughs> I am not dealing with this shit anymore. <laughs> then we had um, Bianca Belair and Alexa Bliss. Um, little clunky a couple times in this match, but I was happy the ladies got an opportunity to start off the show and have some time attached to the match. And um, while maybe the match wasn't up to your like, but like, hey, like, who mistaken Alexa Bliss to be Ricky Steamboat? Like, are you, <laughs> I'm not going to come here and trash Alexa Bliss's wrestling style, but were you guys expecting, like, Bel Air against Steamboat or Bel Air against Bret Hart? Like, I don't know what you're really expecting. It was, the match wasn't that offensive or that horrible, but. All right. Regardless of that, it wasn't about the match. It's about what happened after the match. Multiple DDTs on the steel ring steps. Lexa snapping and laying out referees. Um, we are far from over between those two ladies. And uh, I think the business that they did in that afterbirth brawl was more accomplished and more worthwhile than the match itself. Uh, from there, we had other stuff on the show. Uh, Souls of Code defeated Elias in a Music City um, street fight. Um, we had the first vignettes uh, kind of hinting close to the road of Cody Rhodes making his return to WWE. Excited for that. Um, Kevin Owens and the Street Profits uh, lost to the Sami Zayn and the Usos. Um, they're they're trying to have a hostile takeover after being embarrassed on Friday, and didn't work out at first. But Sammy did get the job done, so we'll have to see how upset the trial chief is uh, tomorrow night for SmackDown, which is going to be in Memphis. Um, big, <laughs> I always talk about maximizing your TV time, right? Shout out to Dominic Mysterio for his prison promo this week. I thought that was absolutely hilarious. I'm not going to revamp his verbiage and stuff like that. It's just funny. He's doing some good TV, man. I got to give the kids some some credit. Um, There was aspects of this next match that I liked, but I thought it went way too long, which was uh, Becky Lynch at B.A.M., against Damage Control. I know you want to get Damage Control uh, controls some momentum and steam, but um, and as much as I like to see Dakota Kai in the ring, her and EO get very, very sloppy and rushy at times with how they structure their matches. I get the whole cutting the ring in half, but when you're like basically stumbling on your feet just to get back in, in, into the ring because you want to do 15 in-and-out tags and stomps and stuff like that, in a two and a half minute span, it's just not a good look. Um, and I thought this match went a little bit too long for my liking. Uh, as far as the main event concerned, Seth Rollins and Austin Dury, I thought that was a very, very good match. Uh, Seth Rollins is a man. Uh, I have no updates as far as him, whether he's like legitimately hurt or what the situation is with him. Hopefully, we get 
uh, some news on that soon. But Austin Deary beat Seth Rollins. He took advantage of the situation like Seth Rollins would back in the day. Uh, uh, Deary won with the Aton Don. And um, I thought that was a nice way to wrap up Raw. I thought um, for wrestling, I think the better matches were on Raw. But I think as an overall show, I think SmackDown was the better show this past this past week than Raw. So that's my opinion this week from WWE. Now let's get to Wrestle Kingdom right here on the Hoots Podcast. All right, one more pit stop before we get to our main event segment this week. Time to talk about Wrestle Kingdom Seventeen. Ghost Yashimash. <laughs> So great to hear Gino Gambino back at ringside with Kevin Kelly and Chris Charlton. I thought the boys did a phenomenal job, and I mean phenomenal job of, you know, just going into their calls, how they tell stories throughout the broadcast. Um, Gino's energy in the back and forth joking around was pretty good. Uh, so it's great to hear Gino back. He's a unit, Kevin. He's a unit. <laughs> uh, maybe a little bit too much Bullet Club bias, but <laughs> you're not really surprised. Uh, New, J- uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling presents Wrestle Kingdom 17 for the Tokyo Dome. Really quick uh, results for the pre-show. Uh, we had a uh, time limit draw in the three-minute exhibition with Rory Oyua and Bolton Oleg. Um we had the Fatal 4-Way match. Uh, we had the 2023 New Japan Rambo where the uh, winner, the four uh, final men in the ring got to fight each other for a Fatal 4-Way match at New Year's Dash. I didn't, I didn't get a chance to transcribe that show yet, but uh, those four guys, uh, Shingo Takagi, The Great Okan, Sho, and Toriano will be fighting each other for the actual KLPW Provisional Championship belt. Not a trophy. Um, then for there, we had the Antonio Inoki uh, trios match that I mentioned last week. And that saw uh, Nagata, Kojima, and Makabe winning. Um, kind of felt bad for Tiger Mask. He messed up a couple spots towards the end of that match. But um, uh, the crowd seemed into it. Uh, really quick, uh, the production that New Japan does... Uh, on these big stadium shows, especially Wrestle Kingdom... Uh, they don't miss. Uh, it's it's worth their money. Uh, it's <laughs> it's a sight to see. I, I, it's it's really uh, second to none. It's, it's second to none. It's top notch production. The stage was beautiful. Just love that energy of wrestling shows at the Tokyo Dome. Uh, this is the eighth Wrestle Kingdom that I covered uh, in my career. I started uh, like I mentioned before doing transcripts in twenty fourteen. Uh, the first Wrestle Kingdom I did was Wrestle Kingdom 9 in 2015. So this is 2023. Yeah, so nearly eight to nine years of uh, doing transcripts and, you know, just general coverage for New Japan Pro Wrestling. And I'll admit, I was one of those fans, uh, you know, who grew up on WWE, and I was woefully ignorant towards uh, New Japan back in the day. If you listen to, like, any of my old podcasts when, like, uh, the Pro Wrestling Experience or the original days of the Josh Lopez Wrestling Podcast, I wasn't really vibing with New Japan because uh, of the Young Bucks. Um, anytime I heard anything about 
New Japan, they always had something to do with the Young Bucks and stuff, and I just never was a fan of them. <laughs> and um, that kind of turned me off of the product, but I think that was a, a mistake of my end. And honestly, you know, over the years, I've got the opportunity to uh, cover a lot of great promotions that's not just WWE-related, like Lucha Underground and MLW. And I've always covered Impact before. Um I, I I love professional wrestling, but there's been a lot of time where I've I noticed that like you oh this is the newest a company that's gonna be WCW the whole thing that this is the company that's gonna run WWE out of business and I'm like it's like put up or shut up because I've seen so many people claim to be an alternative and then they do stupid shit that keeps you away and reminds you that why they're in the position that they're in like Impact. You know, or the NWA now. <laughs> and what I appreciate about New Japan Pro Wrestling and Chino Pro Wrestling is the fact that during my time of understanding the product and their style of wrestling, is that the companies stay true to their, their own identity and they let their work speak for themselves. Uh, it's the reason why it's probably my favorite promotion to cover. Uh, as a fan, WWE will be number one for me from a fan entertainment standpoint, but for pure wrestling, uh, New Japan is my favorite promotion to cover uh, every week. And um, I make no bones about that. Um, this, this is the eighth Wrestle Kingdom that I covered, and I love the product, man. Uh, I'm very grateful for the fact that, you know, these last eight years getting to cover New Japan has really helped me get better at my transcripts and being a wrestling transcriber in general and learning how to study different uh, philosophies on wrestling and movesets and sequences and it was fun man you know it's not for everybody to you know stay up to like 7 o'clock in the morning to uh, cover an event like that <laughs> but you know you gotta be wired different you gotta be either like a Ober New Japan mark or you have to be like me and covering it live because you got bills to pay. <laughs> and that was the case for me on uh, Wednesday. And I have no regrets pulling it all nighter. I'm about to grind and about my work and I'm going to get shit done. And um, I covered the entire show live. Um, Leo Rush and Yo had a fantastic opener with uh, TJP and Francesco Akira. Uh, Leo got busted really open with that um, that like assisted face buster thing they did on um, on the steel grate on that long ass ramp that they had. Uh, Catch two two did they did that to Leo Rush? He got busted open like really bad. Uh, it was reported that he suffered a broken nose, so. T's and P's go out to Leo Rush. That match was insane. That's one of the few titles that remained the same. I think we had six title changes on the event as a whole on um, Wednesday. From there, we had... Um, I talked about the debut of uh, Mercedes Monet earlier in uh, the back porch Q&A session. But it was nice to see Kyrie Cena and Tom Nakano. I thought uh, both ladies had a good match despite of it being nearly 60 minutes. Um, FTR against Roki Goto and Yoshihashi. This is the first house change of the show. Uh, this was my favorite match of the show. 
just from a fear, this like trashy point of view. FTR is so awesome in a ring. I, I love covering their work. Uh, Cash or Dax, if you're watching or listening to this, I really appreciate you guys working what you guys bring to tag team wrestling over the last decade or so. Uh, there's been times I may have disagreed on your approach on handling <laughs> your frustrations and like venting out like that, but as wrestlers and as men, I, I really have a lot of respect for you guys and what you guys do for the business, and you guys uh, had a tremendous outing. Um, really happy for Hiroki Goto and Yoshihashi. They had another barber last year with uh, Dangerous Techers in Tai Chi and Zack Sabre Jr., so to see him I'll do that again this year with FTR. Um, even though some people will not put this as their top match of the show because of what happened with the Osprey and Omega, for me personally, this was my favorite match of the show. It was, it was like true, true um, strong style, and I, I, I love the match. So that was pretty cool. From there, we see Zack Sabre Jr. not only become the inaugural uh, New Japan World Television Champion, but he is now aligned with TMDK. So as Jonah, who's a former TMDK member, um, as he made his return to WWE, TMDK not only gets Zack Sabre Jr., but uh, Kosei Fujita as a young lion is now with the group, which I, I thought that was very interesting. That was a good match, too. Uh, Renarita and Zack Sabre Jr. was a really good back-and-forth match. Um, after that match, we had um, Tamatanga win his first singles gold in New Japan as he defeated Carl Anderson and won the Never Overweight title which was really cool. We had uh, Keiji Muto's last match in New Japan. I thought this was going to be the match that was going to be hard to transcribe because, you know, sometimes I'm covering it live and New Japan World does not have the best, like, like, like device when it comes to transcribing the show due to the fact that when you try to pause it, like, make sure you type down a segment or a match and make sure you get a sequence right, um, they skip over and it's just how their live stream uh, system works, and I think it's unfortunate. But um, I, I, I pushed through through that match. It's not easy to uh, transcribe a trios match, if you will, at that type of speed. But I got it. I got it done. And then they followed that up with a crazy ass four way match, which was insane. Uh, if you, if you like car crashes and high speed wrestling, this may have been your match of the show. Uh, the good thing about this one, they <laughs> how that match was laid out, they actually made people believe towards the end of it that Master Watto was going to win that match. I had that feeling too in the back of my head. And then uh, Hiroma won with the time bomb too. Um, he is your new IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion. So not much of a surprise there. I guess a lot of you have been waiting to hear my thoughts on uh, Kenny Olivier and Will Ospreay. Um, here it goes. Like I said before, I while I'm not a fan of Kenny Olivier in AEW and generally indifferent to most of his work and how he conducts himself in interviews, I will say that I thoroughly enjoy more of Kenny Omega's work in New Japan than I do in AEW. And 
I'll stick you to that. Now, I'm in the minority here, and I'm going to get some flag for this, but I really don't care. I have to say this. Uh, for New Japan to have, you had the perfect opportunity to pass that torch and to, you know, really like put Will Osprey on another level as a bigger star from a foreign aspect, but to look, um, did, 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 did. oh, really quick. <laughs> Sorry, I just got a notification about something. Sorry about that. As I said before, like. Kenny Omega in New Japan is fun to transcribe. I this match was phenomenal. I mean, <laughs> this how it's laid out. This match went for thirty five minutes, and um, you know the nasty spot of doing that Avalanche DDT on the exposed turnbuckle steel was nasty. Osprey got a bad cut and he was busted up in the majority of that match. Um, the athleticism was off the charts. Um, even the storytelling, you look at this and this is like your stereotypical, like Meltzer, like fest, right? You, this is like everything that like wets Dave Meltzer's beak. Even with that, I still enjoyed this match and there was the story that was being told. And the story was, is that it just wasn't Will's time. Now I will say this again, and this is going to bother some people, but Kenny Olivier did not need to beat Will Ospreay and become the IWGP US champion. I think that gives New Japan a bad look, and I felt like that decision was to prop up AEW and give another notch to Tony Khan for Booker of the Year. That's just how I looked at it. That's not to take away from the match, because the match was a lot of fun to transcribe, and I thought it was really good. And if you haven't watched it, it definitely lives up to the hype that people are talking about. Now, is this the best wrestling match that I ever transcribed or the best wrestling match I ever saw? No. But it was really, really good. Uh, it was a phenomenal match. But I already knew that, so they don't get like extra brownie points because I already knew that um, this match was going to be fantastic. Uh, same thing applies with the main event. Um I have no issues with Okada recapturing the title. Um, you know, this was a different match than the previous one. It was more, this match was more story-based in how the match was laid out. And um, they had to pause it all for this match, actually. It was a lot of fun. It was very good, too. And um, Jay White announced today at the New Year's Dash Show, I did see this on Twitter, Supposedly, him and Hikaleo are going to be having a Losers Leaves New Japan match. <laughs> so, the future is up in the air for uh, Jay White out there. I don't know what's going to happen with him. And Will Ospreay, you know, in the backstage house, like, if I can't change things around in the year, maybe it's time for him to leave. So, it's, it's going to be very interesting for the foreign esque performers, if you will, in New Japan Pro Wrestling. And um, overall, I thought Wrestle Kingdom 17 was a success from top to bottom. I really, really enjoyed it. And it was a fun show to transcribe. And I have no regrets for the fact that I stood up all night to cover that show. So um, the transcript is out there if you guys haven't seen it. And let me know if you like it or not. With that being said, 
It's time for the main event. Scheduled for one fall with the unlimited time limit. It's time to give the people what they want. Another brand new edition of What the Hell is Wrong with AEW. Let's start this off with Brother Carter via satellite this week in a three, a two, a one. Beat your meat. Beat, beat your meat. 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 I'm telling you, my time is right now. Right this minute, 2022. We're living in my time is now. My time is right. God damn now. Man, what intensity. It's time for What the Hell is Wrong with AEW. the hell is wrong with AEW? Well, it's 2023. We're in a new year, but I have a strange feeling we're going to get the same old AEW. And based on tonight's episode, I think I'm going to be right. But let's start with the good stuff. And actually, there was a lot of good stuff about tonight's show. Um, Tonight's show was better than most. I will say that. So that's cool. But I just, well, we'll talk about it here in a second. But um, the new stage is kind of cool. It's not a whole lot different from the old one, but it's kind of cool, I guess. I don't think it's as revolutionary as everyone makes it out to be, but it looks cool. I like the new entranceway, uh, how the characters or, or the wrestlers, rather, are just coming out of one tunnel. I think that just makes a lot more sense. So, cool for AEW for getting a new set. I hope that that works out for them. And I do have to give props to the Seattle crowd. They brought a ton of energy to the show this week, which always makes it more fun for the performers. You've seen WWE shows where the crowd is just horrible. And it just doesn't... Well, you, well, any promotion, really, when the crowd just isn't really into the show, it's just not as fun for the performers or for uh, the audience as well. So the Seattle crowd, props to you. The energy that you brought um, was really great. So good for you for that. Good match with Ricky Starks and Chris Jericho. But I got... Well... But we'll get into They were so disrespectful to the performers, I think, especially they're chanting for Aubrey Edwards. And we'll talk about more uh, in a little bit. We'll talk about that more here in just a little bit. Uh, Ricky Starks is so good, and he deserves way better than to work with Chris Jericho, the useless Jericho Appreciation Society, who w- was awful at the, at the end of their post-match brawl, because why would we not get a post-match beatdown from the Jericho Appreciation Society? Um, he deserves way better than to work with Jericho and to work with this god-awful promotion. A good, a good promo from Hangman Adam Page. I enjoyed that. I'm actually invested in his match with Moxley next week, so that should be good. Man, I love the acclaimed. They made Jeff Jarrett look like a complete jackass, and I love it. Not only in their music video, but it caused Jarrett, his wife, everybody to just start coming out. Man, Max Caster crossed the line, blah, 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 blah. They're, I mean, Karen Jarrett is not exactly the most uh, upstanding human being in the world. So I wouldn't, I'd, uh, everything Max Caster said, I think, was spot on. And then he comes out and does a great rap to, to diss TNA and Dixie Carter and all that stuff. It was great. Uh, Max Caster is awesome. And he made Jarrett uh, look like a complete jackass, and I loved it. Um, 
Danielson, of course, gets a quick win against uh, Tony Nice, and uh, I actually thought that the the promo with MJF and Danielson, of well, MJF of course is great, but Danielson I thought was great on the microphone this week. I thought that was really really good, and the Iron Man match stipulation is brilliant because Danielson can make MJF look like a million bucks for an hour. And we really get to see MJF elevate to the next level against one of the best pro wrestlers of all time uh, in this Iron Man match. So I think this is a great idea, and um, I'm really looking forward to seeing that at the next pay-per-view. Uh, the MJF line with Lance Storm and Dean Malengo was hilarious. Talking about if Lance Storm and Dean Malengo could procreate, they would have a character that, or they'd have a wrestler that's uh, less charismatic than Daniel Bryan. I thought that was great. And then Danielson taking shots at MJF's mom I thought was pretty funny as well. Okay, let's get to the shit, and oh boy, is there a lot of shit. Okay, so I talked about Ricky Starks earlier, and the crowd did bring a lot of energy, but they chanted for Aubrey Edwards. Seriously, how much bigger of marks can you get when they tried to put over Aubrey Edwards in the opening 10 minutes of the show? And we're going to talk more about Aubrey Edwards here in just a little bit, but this was ridiculous. Um, While I appreciate the energy of the crowd... Um, they should be ashamed of themselves for trying to put over Aubrey Edwards. She does a good enough job of trying to do that anyway and failing miserably. I will knock your dick in the dirt. What exactly does that mean from Hangman Adam Page? That was weird. <laughs> so AEW has production problems during this promo, and Mus- Moxley had to instead uh, drop a bunch of F-bombs because why wouldn't he? You know, when his mic isn't working and dropping F-bombs on live television, the, the sensor tried to delay, the seven-second delay tried to work, and he failed miserably because they couldn't catch Moxley in time. Um, once again, the, the crack production AEW team coming right to the forefront, right? Uh, ridiculous. Um, I've never seen anyone try to put themselves more over than Aubrey Edwards. She comes out, immediately gets in Jericho's business. Uh, well, sorry, that she got in Jericho's business in the first match, and in this match immediately got into Jarrett's face. She let herself get pushed around. The crowd booed. Um, she had, she exerted her authority, and the crowd went batshit crazy, which I thought was so stupid. Um, the finish in the acclaimed match was completely botched, but other than that, the match overall was okay with the acclaimed and Jarrett and Lethal. Um, apparently, we're getting a rematch on Rampage where no holds barred because AEW can't help themselves from having no holds barred matches. But yeah, I've never seen anyone try to get themselves more over than uh, Aubrey Edwards. It's actually kind of pathetic. Why does Britt Baker always get the last word in with promos that she does with Jamie Hayter, even though Hayter is the champion? Shouldn't the focus be on your world champion and not Britt Baker? There's Tony Khan booking for you. Speaking of Tony Khan booking, we're apparently going to throw Hook, who's one of their most popular acts, even though we rarely see him on television, in another random tag team match, this time with Jungle Boy. Uh, sure, why not? Because we have nothing, we can't figure out what to do with Hook, a completely over talent. All right, we get a tumble fest with Swerve Strickland and A.R. Fox. They took unnecessary bumps and risks for no reason. Don't care. Useless backstage segment with Soraya. Uh, we, I, I, the writing's on the wall for this one. Hikaru Shida will attack Tony Storm. She can't compete. They'll bring out Sasha Banks. And then overrated Banks will once again be on television. And I'm sure we'll talk about this more when I am back next week on the Hoots Podcast. Live and in living color, baby. Spoiler alert, I'm back and live in living color next week. But yeah, that's going to happen. Sheeta's going to attack Tony Storm. They can't compete. Here comes Sasha Banks. What the hell was that promo with the guns? That was just weird with the whole FTR thing. That was just strange and out of place. I didn't quite get it. Okay. 
So Jade Cargill teams with Red Velvet against Kira Hogan and Sky Blue or whatever it was. I, I don't know. It's just so obvious that Jade Cargill was better than all of them. She is, you know, great look. She was clearly better than all of them in the ring. But you just wait, and Josh and I were texting about this, but you just wait. Sasha Banks is going to come in, defeat Jade Cargill for the TBS title because she's Tony Khan's flavor of the month. And all those women that have worked their tails off over there will go to the back of the line because Tony Khan can't help but bringing in the hottest names, paying them a boatload of money to get a pop, and then relegating them to AE Dark. I cannot wait for Sasha Banks to get relegated to AEW Dark and her fans to turn on her right away because, oh, she clearly couldn't cut the mustard in AEW. No, no, that's not it at all. And I'm sure we'll talk about that more next week, but there you go. And to close the show, we get Darby Allen, who, of course, just wants to be a stunt show wrestler and clown against Samoa Joe. Now, of course, you can tell it was going to be a stunt show because Darby Allen came out and attacked him with the skateboard at the very beginning because, again, he can't help himself but being in hardcore matches. Um, once the match got going with Joe, it was fine. It was short. It was just fine. And, of course, congratulations to Darby Allen for winning the TNT Championship again. Uh, you know, fine. I've, I've said in, in the past, um, I'm, I'm done with Darby Allen. Um, he's, he's a good athlete. Uh, he moves real quickly, and he has he has good ring presence, but it's clear he just wants to be in hardcore death stupid garbage matches, um, but he wants to get paid like an AEW wrestler. And it's very obvious, and his career will be over before it begins because he'll take one stupid and unnecessary bump. And But we all know this. And I hope that this means that, this, this, uh, that Joe dropping the TNT title is the beginning of the end of Samoa Joe in AEW, and he can go back to WWE and be a badass that he is. So, those are my thoughts from Dynamite this week. <clears throat> Some bright moments, but more of all the same old crap, which is what I expect to see in 2023 from this godforsaken company. Seriously, what the hell is wrong with AEW? This has been What the Hell is Wrong with AEW. Thank you, Sir Royalty, for your contribution as always. The one and only Nefarious Brother Carter there entertaining the masses as he usually does here on the podcast. Says, Hoots. Yes, let's talk about it. What the hell is wrong with AEW, the first one of 2023? Well, it's not a new stage, <laughs> it's not new graphics, it's not in the fact of having. Sexy women like Renee Young more featured on our screen backstage than Tony Schiavone. No, those are good upgrades. But what is wrong with AEW in 2023? It's the same thing that's been wrong with AEW since the beginning of this promotion. Shitty officiating. And we'll get to that in just a couple seconds. But as Brad Carter had his positives, I had my own positives on the show. I just mentioned it right there. More Renee Young or Renee Paquette, the better. Also, give me more Lexi Nair on the program as well. We do not need Officer Barbrady doing interviews. I enjoyed the Chris Jericho-Ricky Stars match. I'll tell you why I didn't like aspects of that match in a couple seconds. Stay tuned. My favorite match of the show 
was the main event. I thought uh, Darby and Samoa Joe killed it. Now, usually with Darby matches, I'm not all for the death-defying stunts and, you know, him having to bring out a ladder and do all the spots that they were doing before the match, but I understood why they did it, and uh, I think this is the case of where I usually would say that AEW crowds are misleading and that you shouldn't take every crowd reaction that they make as the gospel of whether something's over or not, but this is one of the few exceptions that I can say that the crowd's investment in this match really helped me enjoy it more than I'll, than if it was a regular Wednesday and I had to show up mute. <laughs> Maybe I should have had to show up mute <laughs> and then I would have a different reaction to this Darby and Samoa Joe match. But for me, um, I, I, I enjoyed it and I'm happy for Darby for the fact that he got his title back and good on him. I think that's pretty cool. And then I liked the match for nostalgia reasons of Shade Strickland and A.R. Fox. Um, I am a Lucha Underground Mark. If you guys want to know what the alternative actually looked like in professional wrestling, it was uh, Lucha Underground. And um, it's a shame that that brand is not here anymore. But, um, yeah, that's the good stuff on the show. Let's get to the crap. You know what I, you know, it's the one thing that I needed more of in 2023. Aubrey Edwards, VR Goggles Jones herself. We get it. It's her hometown. It wasn't just her getting the spotlight from Seattle. The Seattle crowd was great. Brian Danielson got a pop. What? Swerve got a pop. What? Darby Allen got a pop. What? Nick Wayne, who's on a future contract, got a, a big pop for the crowd. Why? But Aubrey Edwards. Aubrey Edwards. Aubrey Edwards. Oh, my God. <laughs> you guys let me down there. Like, seriously. Not only that, but there's nobody that can convince me that this girl is not a mark for herself. I'm just being honest. <laughs> I just called it like I see. She is a mark for herself. Not only the fact that we knew that she was probably getting a lot of on-air screen time for the fact that it's her hometown, and a lot of times AW like likes to butter up their town when they're in their hometowns. Nothing wrong with that. But for her to be a major factor in the first three matches of the show, what the fuck are we doing? It's bad enough I already have to expose how crappy the officiating is in AEW every single week. But if, if you look at the show from top to bottom, with the exception of the women's tag team match and the main event, the first four matches of the show had the same layout and same officiating problems and same outside interference. You guys want to go after Triple H all the time, right, with his booking of outside interference and stuff like that during matches? AW is the king of after-birth brawls and interferences and making their referees look stupid. Okay, Chris Jericho and Ricky Starks. I was enjoying the match, but they can't help themselves. Once a good thing starts happening and then stupid shit starts. Okay, I guess you could... Shrug off being hit by a baseball bat 
while being put in the walls of Jericho. I don't even want Chris Jericho to be on my TV, let alone ha- see him win a match. But it's okay for Daddy Magic Matt Menard, who probably has the weakest muscles in the world. He clocks Ricky starts with a baseball bat behind the referee's back. Oh, yeah, we're going to really pretend that Aubrey Edwards did not see that. Fucking Ray Charles probably saw it from his casting that that, that went down. Like, who are we fooling here? Not only that's not a DQ, 2.0 interviewing a third of the match were not ejected from ringside. But even for Ricky and Chris, like, what are you doing? You got your signature move on. You're trying to make the guy submit. No harm would have been done to Ricky if the match ended in a referee stoppage. But he could get hit in the head with a baseball bat and still find a way to not tap out to the walls of Jericho. I just think from a logistic and realistic point of view, that is fucking stupid. And I'm just being honest. From there, we go to the acclaim against Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal. More interference, more running into the ring when you're not the legal competitor. I guess you can just run in the ring and slap people in the face. Uh, I, I, that's interesting. Sanjay Dutt is fucking terrible. Get that twat. Get get him off my screen. Seriously. Sanjay Dutt as a manager as ringside. He serves absolutely no purpose. He is... <laughs> Oh, my God. Sanjay Dutt is as, as effective as Dow Loggins was as an offensive coordinator with the Chicago Bears. Get this twat off my TV screen and his stupid-ass pencil as well. Satnam Singh, sorry, brother. I, I'm just not interested in you, in, in what you do in the ring. I, I, I just can give two flying fucks, to be honest with you. This match had a lot of heat going in and some shoot heat as you guys see this week on uh, Jeff Jarrett's podcast. I had a feeling this was not going to be over with them. So for the fact that Tony Khan just can't have a DQ on his program, he does this convoluted way where one moment Jarrett and Lethal win the match, but because the referee Stefan Stick doesn't have eyes in the back of his head, and he's another one that's uh, all over the place when it comes to tag team matches. This is where you, we we took the guys like Mike Kyoto for granted, uh, and why we still like take uh, Little Nate Charles Robinson for granted. And this is why my guy, to, uh, referee Tony, deserves a spot uh, officiating matches on television. If if performers in the ring are making the referees look stupid, and obviously they don't take what's happening in the ring seriously. How do you expect me as the viewer at home to take your match seriously? And not only is a Fugazi referee officiating led to Jarrett and Lethal supposedly winning the match, and then Caster attacks Jarrett from the outside once the match is restarted. No DQ, nothing. Uh, and Bowen's rolls Jarrett over to get the win. And then they announced that they're having a no holds bar match for Rampage on Friday. I'll get to that in a little bit. 
from there, we go from Brian Danielson and uh, Tony Nese in a match I could give two shits about. This was a regular fight squash match, and I'm glad it not it didn't overstate its welcome. I'll say that. We did find out that Brian Danielson will have to go through hoops to become the number one contender if he can win all his matches heading towards Revolution in San Francisco. He will defight Ed JF in a one-hour Ironman match for the AEW World Title. Now, NGF and Brian Danielson will be a fantastic match. Of course it will. But do you really care? Like, going back to earlier in the show, you know, Chris Jericho loses to Ricky Starks, but, God, man, we need we just need the JAS to get their heat back. And then, you, you know what's effective? You know what you want to start your programming in 2023? New stage, new graphic Jones, everything, right? We're fancying up the product. We got Jake Hager powerbombing Ricky Starks through a table on the floor. They get in their own way. They get in their own way. It's, it's, it's really unfortunate. From there, we go to... Um, I mentioned, uh, I forgot something that I wanted to mention, the positives. Um, I enjoyed the Hangman page, and um, I actually there's a couple uh, backstage promos I really enjoyed from the show last night, which was the um, Hangman page and John Moxley in-ring, and then the Jamie Hayter, uh, Rebel, and Britt Baker backstage with Tony Schiavone. I thought was pretty good. Um, Max Caster's rap again. Top notch, the line about Chef Jarrett's wife being dragged more than Skip Bayless. I thought that was pretty good. Um, yeah, I'm, I have my concerns about what's going to happen here with MJF and Brian Danielson. I want to be proven wrong, but I would not be surprised if Brian Danielson finds his way to walk out of San Francisco with the championship. Uh, I hope to God that does not happen was just generally a different in the women's uh, tag team match. Did absolutely nothing for me, personally. Um, I thought the match went way too long. Um, but that's that for that match. Uh, I talked about the main event as well. And that's um, that's pretty much it. Uh, let's do the expert uh, impression before we get out of here, Okay. Coming to you live on Rampage from Portland, Oregon. It's Brian Danson and John Moxley taking on top flight. Preston Vance of La Fraction Ignorable is in action. We have AEW Women's World Champion Jamie Hayter and Britt Baker taking on the Renegade Twins. And then following that, it's the fifth installment of the Battle of the Belt series as Orange Cassidy puts his AEW All-Mid-Championship on the line against Kip Sabian. The TBS champion Jay Cargo will be take, uh, uh, putting her title on line against Sky Blue. 
a TV champion defending her title on TNT. Then we got the main event. It's the Acclaimed taking on Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal in a rematch for Dynamite. It's a no-holds-barred match for the AW World Tag Team Championship. Then coming up the following, it's AW's return to the fabulous Kia Forum in Los Angeles, California. It's match number seven of the best of seven series for the AW World Trio Championship. It's Escalera de Muerte. Who will win? The Death Triangle or the Elite? By the way, Kenny Omega had a great match on uh, Wrestle Kingdom, and we don't show it on television. What the hell are we doing here? Following that, <laughs> we have Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter taking on the team of Soraya and Tony Storm. As absolute Ricky Starks will respond to the ashes that happened to him this past week for the Jericho Appreciation Society. FTW champion Hook teams up with Lee Moriarty. Take uh, <laughs> Let's restart this from the beginning. We got to do this right. <laughs> Coming to you live on Rampage from Portland, Oregon. It's AW Rampage. It's Brian Darius and John Mosley taking on a team of Darius and Dante Martin in top flight. Preston Vance will be in action. The main event of that show. Jamie Hayter and Britt Baker take on the Red Gate Twins. Then following that on TNT, it's the fifth installment of the AW Battle of the Belt series as AEW All Mid Champion Arch Cassidy puts his title on the line against Kit Sabian. From there, Jay Cargill puts her AWTS Championship on the line on TNT against Sky Blue. And the main event of that show is the acclaim with Billy Gunn taking on the team of Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal in a no holds bar match. For the AW World Tag Team Championships, this match coming from the controversy for this past week on Dynamite. Then from there, coming up next Wednesday, live from the Famous Kim Forum in Los Angeles, California, we have Brian Danson taking on Kenosuke Takeshita. From there, we have FTW Champion Hook teaming up with Jack Perry to take on the Ferns, Big Bill and Lee Moriarty. Then from there, we have Soraya and Tony Storm taking on Britt Baker, DMD, and Jamie Hayter. And the main event, it's match number seven in the best of seven series for the AW World Trio Championship. It's Escalera de Marte as the champions the Death Triangle defend their titles against the Elite. By the way, Kenny Olivier won the title at Wrestle Kingdom, and we showed nothing about it on Dynamite. More matches to be announced via Tony Khan on Twitter. Make sure to get your tickets right now at AWTIX.com. Repeat, that's AWTIX.com. Whew. A bunch of action, but no consequences. That, my friends, is what the hell's wrong with AEW. All right, folks. I want to thank you guys so much for hanging out with me this week. Hope you have a wonderful weekend. You can follow me at Twitter at the Hoots Podcast. Make sure to hit me up on Instagram if you like at Josh Lopez Media. Make sure to check out Josh Lopez Music as well. Make sure to follow Bird Cards work at DerekStoughton.com. Make sure to check out my transcript work at ProWrestlingTranscriptions.com. Make sure to leave us a four or five star review on Apple Podcasts and where you get your podcasts from. Subscribe to our YouTube channel so you never miss an episode. We appreciate that. We're on the road to 1,000 subscribers on YouTube. Make sure to subscribe to the channel right now. We really would appreciate that. Most, it's really. The most important thing to remember here at the Who's Podcast as we're about to send this off. Remember, be the authentic product that is yourself. And remember, nobody dictates the pace of your life but yourself and the man upstairs. I love you guys. For Brother Carter, I'm Joshy. 
This has been episode 342 of the Hoots Podcast. We'll talk to y'all morose people next week. Uh, Yes, sir.